trying a different angle with the camera because the last time it was coming in from above because I have these I have these giant monitors right here and yeah, you uh, look like, you look like and I feel like I was like kind of slouching <laughs> down like this and the whole thing so now I'm like upright <laughs> so you can look up my nostrils <laughs> yeah oh my god that's funny man yeah now well, you look like you look like you're lording over us yeah what's with the beard whoa Cavalina! That's right. That's right. I gotta be in costume. <laughs> I got my ponytails working. I'm ready. Oh, I have a total mop worth of hair, but <laughs> it's underneath this, so I don't want to pull it off. Are you gonna do pigtails too? You know, I could do pigtails. I got some long ass hair right now. <laughs> oh, we should. We totally should. Which way is it? Oh, I can do it from here. All right. So. I feel like I've already um, accomplished too many technology things just by getting here today, so I don't want to try to get to the document. What's on our agenda? So what we had, we, we're going to do mental toughness today. We're going to oh. do mental toughness. Yeah. Oh, and then last time we were talking about um, the omnivore's dilemma, and, yes. and, I, and I finished that, and I'm, I feel like I'm well-versed and, and, uh, and almost a vegetarian at this point. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Have you been converted? I, I do. We want to talk about that. Sure. Okay. So the the book is basically about um, it's talking about industrial agriculture, and and how organic has basically just been kind of sucked up into industrial agriculture because um, you get somebody like uh, Safeway or Whole Foods that says, "Oh, we like your organic product," but it doesn't scale well because it's just this kind of tiny little farm. Mm -hmm. And you know, like Whole Foods, they, uh, you know, they're another one. They they went to some lettuce grower, and basically this lettuce grower had to go to Big Ag and say, "Help us out." And so, what was you know organic and what we think is organic has now just become industrial ag. So they follow the rules, but the rules are you know kind of. Um, not to the standards that we would think, you know. So the original idea was, hey, we're going to do it, you know, natural or whatever. Um, but then it just gets, you know, bastardized. And and so after that, I was like, okay, well, and I kind of had the idea that organic was a bullshit term at this point. Um, but it basically talks about how, um, you know, the chickens and the pigs and the cows or everything. And so that, you know, just like hearing that, and, and I've watched stuff on like 60 Minutes, stuff like that, and it makes me, you know, it makes me cringe. But now I'm like, all right, I need to figure out where I'm going to get my meat because I'm not getting it from there. Um, and then the vegetable thing is a lot easier. They have something called uh, consumer-supported um, agriculture. So basically, uh, you find a farm that's doing it the way that, you know, we think is organic. And and they do these deliveries. So, for example, I'm going to pick up a delivery tomorrow in, in San Ramon from some farm that's in California that does it the way that we think is organic. You know, they're doing it naturally. It's sustainable. And and I'm not really into the whole sustainability thing. I just don't want crap in my food. 
Um, yeah, my CSA just got yeah. dropped off on my doorstep like 10 minutes ago. Oh, so you do this already? Yeah. yeah. I, used, I used to have one in Vermont. Yeah. Well, there's... Work you there's there was I there's a website that I think it's called Local Harvest and you can pick your geographic location and they and they show you what you can get and when you can get it. But Tina, the tea monster, um, she works in the industry and so she went to somebody at work and they said, oh, there's this place up the road and they deliver closer than the other place because I was going to have to go to Walnut Creek and they only do like mm. you know nine months out of the year. This place does twelve months out of the year. So that's just you know I I went through this book. I am kind of converting over, and and this is where I am. And poor Christine, you know, it's like it's, the old joke is, um, you know, my wife's a vegetarian, so I'm a vegetarian. Well, it's kind of the other way around. And since I cook, it's basically whatever I cook is what she eats. So last night we had a meatless dinner, and she was like, "Okay, I guess this is what we're doing." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not that bad once you get used to it. I mean, I, I feel pretty vindicated, though, because I remember when John and I went vegetarian three we, three years ago, I remember taking quite a bit of ribbing about bacon in the forum. So I I, uh, I feel pretty vindicated right now. I'm pretty excited. Um, but, yeah, most of the reasons why John and I went vegetarian are exactly along the lines, Vince, of what you're saying with, with what you read in the book is, you know, it was partly like, well, we, we can't get it harvested the way we want it. Um, so we're just not going to eat it. And what I found when, when we switched to, to, you know, a plant-based diet or vegetarianism or whatever label we want to put on it, um, I found that I got a lot more creative with my cooking because you kind of have to, right? Like if you cook vegetables the way you've always cooked them as a side to meat, you're going to get bored like really quick. So you have to kind of get a little bit more creative with it and it's, it's, actually make cooking a little bit more fun. I mean, granted, it's a lot more prep, I think, um, in terms of, you know, lunch, breakfast, dinner, everything's kind of, um, everything's kind of needs, needs quite a bit of prep, but, uh, but it's I like a little pop-up. Yeah, I know. We're like professionals. I love it. Fancy, fancy. Um, but yeah, so I, I, uh, I, I really like the switch. I feel a lot better doing it. Um, and, the next step for you, Vince, is to get chickens, although I'm pretty sure they're not HOA approved. They but. are not HOA approved. <laughs> we have a ton of turkeys in the backyard, but they're protected, so it would be illegal for me to bow hunt them in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying eat the chickens. You just get their eggs. That's eat all. the eggs, yeah. You're not oh. eating the chickens. But I, only have, I only have turkeys. <laughs> I will say too, this is the funny thing, right? When we when we first started this, it was all like, you know, we can't get the meat uh, harvested the way we want, right? Or uh, so we did it all for this naturalist thing. And now, when we got the chickens, because the egg issue is also pretty nasty, um, so we got our own chickens, and they have such personalities. I'm like, I cannot eat meat because these are like little. These are things. Like these are like my little pets. Like how could you ever eat them? This is they all have names. They they like rah, 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 rah. they're adorable. <laughs> like, I can't eat these things. Are you kidding me? They're like little people with wings. No way. So I turned into like a little bit of like a no, that's like a sentient thing there. I can't eat that. Um so that's your I, next. That's your next level, Vince. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can certainly eat meat. I just want to know where it comes from, and yeah, yeah. and I think I think you can probably find the you know something along the lines of the the local harvest site. That seems to be pretty veggie, but I think you can find people that are 
you know, growing animals the way you want them. In that book, they talk about um, this place. I can't remember where it is. It's someplace on the East Coast. It's called Polyface Farms, and it talks about how, um, you know, they basically built this uh, environment where everything um, is is kind of like how nature does it. You know, the problem with big ag is that you've got um, you know this monoculture so you're, you're only doing cattle so cattle just basically kill the land and so you can't use that for anything else well these guys they they rotate everything through and they and they do things naturally so, and, and and I don't remember like word for word but basically like the cows come in and then they bring in the chickens later because the chickens do something with the cow crap and spread it out and 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 basically it it allows for things to continue to use this without destroying the land well, I got to figure out where I can get my meat like that, you know, where they're doing it, you know, sort of naturally as opposed to, you know, like how they do it on I-5 down here in California, which is disgusting. <laughs> but I still like meat and I'm still going to eat it and I don't care if it has meat. <laughs> I just need to figure out where I'm going to get it. Um, well, I'm going to complicate this discussion just one more little tick. I had actually listened to a podcast last week. I think it was on Trail Runner Nation or something like I think that was the podcast, Trail Runner something. Um, and they had interviewed the guys from, I'm getting up the name of what I was listening to because I want to accurately represent them. Trail Runner Nation, yeah. So they had interviewed uh, these guys that had created the documentary Cowspiracy, which is oh. just came mm -hmm. out in September on Netflix. They had actually been traveling the country. The story's great. Like it's uh, the, the, the podcast is definitely worth listening to. It's It was really good. Um, I, I don't know how long ago it was, though. Uh, it wasn't recent. Like I, I, I went back and anyway, they interviewed these guys that did cowspiracy, and um, part of the issue with the cows is even if you're getting like grass-fed cows and you're thinking that's good for you, that's actually worse for the environment uh, because you need so much more land. Uh, so it's like this. It's like both the indust the, the industrial agriculture and this sort of. Uh, grass-fed model is is creating environmental impacts um, and obviously the cows and you know there's this funny this whole funny segment on about you know their farts or the methane but actually yeah, yeah. it's like 70 to 80 percent of that methane is actually their burps um, but it's funny but they were saying it's funnier to say farts which is kind of true um, but yeah I thought that that was really interesting um, in terms of you know you think you're doing this good thing by um, by by doing this grass fed and it's actually worse, right? Well, and then they were had, in the book. They were talking about there were a couple things. So he went down to Whole Foods and he he went through different things. Like he went to McDonald's and he went to you know a feedlot and he and then he went to I see a dog tail over in the corner. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he went to Whole Foods and he and he said you know and he bought this chicken named Rosie that you know it's organic and it comes from Petaluma Farms and this sounds all great and and it's you know it's a uh, free range and basically they've bastardized you know the terminology and he went up to Petaluma Farms and apparently they're just all in this giant room and basically they won't let him out for five weeks and at that point they won't go outside because they're too scared but on either side of this giant building where all these chickens are housed they have these two little doors that go out to these little patches of grass and that's their free range yeah. and and so then the and then the other one that I didn't know about is so there's grass fed but there's also grass finished so basically, they're feedlot cattle, and in the last few weeks, they they put them out to pasture so that they they eat grass, and then they call that grass finished, and it makes you kind of believe that oh, well, this is better than the other. But basically, it's just it's still feedlot cattle. Yeah, I think I I gave up meat 
for like economic reasons and what Maria Maria said, like dude, it wrecks the environment, all that. I mean, it's oh so for sure, yeah, and that that's a point that they make is it's definitely bad for the environment uh, to have all those so, cattle. Yeah, oh, they they use so much water, and like. The amount of calories they take to make a calorie of food is just ridiculous. Well, and and this whole thing starts off with corn and how corn is subsidized and how cheap mm -hmm. it is and how the farmers, you know, they don't really know anything else and and it's this government handout and so they just continue to do it and how bad that is for the environment as well. And I'm definitely not that kind of guy, mm -hmm. you know, but you know, because to me it's just an evolution of like, um, how do I become a better athlete mm -hmm. and and gave up fast food, you know, gave up uh -huh. pretty much anything that was, um, you know, like in a package that's microwavable or whatever, and, and this just seems like the ne next evolutionary step. Yeah, and so. I used to do meat, like, I used to do, like, grass-fed and, you know, sustainably raised fish and all that, um, but even then, man, I go on veggie completely, it's just, I feel so much better when you work out. You but feel, you eat you chicken, don't you? I don't eat it anymore, no. I don't really? You gave up no. chicken? Holy crap. You gave up everything. Because they're cute, Matt. You like, shouldn't so eat cute. them. Oh, no, my um, old roommates have chickens now in Vermont. And um, a couple of my friends up in Minneapolis. I think California needs to get on that train. It's impossible to have chickens in California. Everyone lives too close together. Um, so. I have to real quick correct myself. I said it was Trail Runner Nation. It was actually the Rich Roll podcast. I listen to too many of these things. This is what happens when you train for 100 miles. You listen to like 19,000 podcasts. And yeah. All sort of so I just wanted to correct that for anyone listening. It was the Rich Roll podcast <laughs> talking about Cowspiracy. <laughs> and it was the September 13th episode. Yeah, all two people. No, we're going to replay this. We're going to be big, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is pretty – and it was it was really interesting to listen to. And I'm definitely – I put the Cowspiracy in my queue on Netflix. I definitely want to watch it. How do I get it? how do I get it back to where um, the camera goes to who's talking? Don't click on somebody. Like click off of all of us. I click on, I, click on, click on the your, the face that's talking right now, or your face, whichever one. Like if in the I middle of the screen. If I click on any one of us, the box stays down there and then it yeah. stays on me. And now I I can't get off of that. Marius, what's this? <laughs> Has added Google effects. I forgot. Have we got to have that? Oh, oh, I give up. Anyway, continue on. <laughs> you don't want to stare at yourself the whole time? No, I was actually staring at you, and Matt's a little box down in the corner, so. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So what are we talking about? So we uh, have beyond the physical and mental. Or beyond the physical, mental fitness. Sorry. Put the punctuation okay. in the wrong spot. Okay, mental so we're, fitness. we're moving Beyond the cute chickens and poor cows. Yeah, no chickens anymore. They are cute. They are cute though. They have such personality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have a rooster? No, that okay. would get us. I was going to say. Nelly photo bomb. There she is. Oh <laughs> jeez. <laughs> 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 just listening to this. I have a cat. She photo bombs each and every of our episodes. It's her special appearance. There she Does is. Does she like the chickens? Um. Well. When we first got them, I actually carried her. Well, she's not an outdoor cat because mm. the street. Uh, I I just I don't want to come home and see her splattered from a car. So she's just not an outdoor cat. Um, but I took her outside one time when we first got them, and when she saw them, she pissed all over me. So I don't know. What that means. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what that means. I feel like no. 
<laughs> um, and Pace desperately would like to catch one and play with it in a way that I think I don't want her to do. So Aww. We have the yard separated. The chickens have one half of the yard, and Pace has the other half of the yard. Sometimes... Chickens fly over into pace. sometimes the chickens fly over into Pace's side, which is that's touch and go when that happens. Yeah, but you can hear them like mission. Yeah, they have different they have different squawks that they make. So like they have the hey, I'm happy to hear you, which is like burp, 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 burp. then they have the I'm laying an egg squawk, which sounds like it's not hundred percent like pain free. Um, and then they have <laughs> not hundred percent pain free that process. Um, and then they have the holy shit, there's a hawk, there's a dog, there's a something gonna get me. And I had heard that squawk that day and I and sure enough one had flown over on Pace's side and they were all sounding the alarm like, rah, 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 like it was crazy. So I'm like, you know, and trying to catch a chicken is definitely tricky. So we caught Pace. That was easy and then John went and grabbed the chicken so we kind of it's tricky it's this is what it's like on the farm over here in Apsika New Jersey <laughs> when are you gonna get cattle <laughs> uh, I well I don't want cattle but I would really love an alpaca that would be oh great. god John has John has forbidden it and I would also like a pig I think they're adorbs I want a goat oh a goat would be great too but John said that John, my husband, for those listening that don't know, um, he's the beast of the east, as I like to call him, um, has forbidden any more animals. So No more livestock? No more livestock. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely the kid that was like, come home and ask my parents, can I have one of these? Can I have one of these? Can I have one of these? Like, I wanted all of the animals. So um, that has continued. And John tolerates it somewhat, but no alpacas or goats or pigs. And <laughs> So goats, will, goats will destroy everything. Yeah, that's what I hear. Our friend, you know Eric, our, our friend Eric, he has a goat. They have two goats, actually. Yeah. For, for pets? Have, yeah, yeah, and they also have chickens and, uh, and a dog and a cat. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, All right, so they mental... Walk, they walk the goats down the street, though, which I think is funny. All right, let's talk about something. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is like farm cast. <laughs> All we've talked about is, like, food and, and livestock. And we, Yay. Sit, we sit here in our nice little HOA condos talking about livestock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Matt, I don't How live in an HOA. They don't, I don't live in an HOA. I, I am not HOA approved. I yeah, I'm not sure I am, but we managed to, to buy our way in. Yeah, I thought that too until I... Yeah, I had to move to California, and now I am. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess you don't have many choices. You don't have an option, no. All right. All right, so we're talking about mental stuff. Yep. Well, I'm mental. <laughs> Fair enough. So, what's next? <laughs> Whose topic is this? Is this mine or yours, or...? I think this was originally Matt's, and then oh, okay. I had it. my fault? I... Oh, I can talk. Oh, I was going to say, somebody lead it out. <laughs> Actually, right, Vince, so... it looks like you talked about it. Really? Yeah, because you, yeah, know, I, you I were talking about Maria and Vince. Or Maria and Matt. Yeah, yeah. Go, go for it, Matt. You'd be, the, you'd be like the interviewer. Yeah. Okay. You're good Sounds at that. Good. Sounds good. Oh, thanks. You've got skill sets. I have skills. Matt's got oh. game. <laughs> that, be, that, that may not be true. <laughs> That's not entirely true. All right. Um, so... I struggle off mental training or with mental toughness, I think. I think it's one of my weaknesses. Um, I think Vince knows that. What do you guys do 
like I know you're doing 100 miles, Maria, Vince, you've done hundreds, you've done tons of Ironmans. Um, do you guys still continue mental training, or how did you become mentally tough? I'll leave that out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, always. And and I just think it's something that develops over time. And I think um, I, I think okay. So let's go back to um, I think how we jump into races. You know, so I've taken on a, a bunch of new athletes recently, and and one guy, you know, just did his first sprint, and then he immediately jumped to half Ironman, and now he's training for Ironman. And I think that's a gigantic leap. Mm -hmm. And and I think. There's so many problems with that, and, and one of them being mental is you you know doing a sprint and doing an Ironman are not the same beast, mm -hmm. and I think you know I think you have to develop it over time, and you know obviously we can we can get there, um, but even like with uh, Tahoe Rim, the hundred I just did in, in July, I just felt like that was too big of a mental jump for me. I wasn't prepared for that, and I and I think um, you know like you and I have talked about. Um, you know, making sure that you put yourself in situations that that are as hard as Iron Man, you know, or at least as close as possible. Um, and and I think you just kind of like everything else, you need to practice that. Um, and I mean, I just I, I look back at like some of the crazy workouts I did. You know, when I was training for Iron Man, you know, like back in the day, it was like. 100 degrees out, and I had a, uh, it was like a 56-mile bike, a 13-mile run, another 56-mile bike, and then I, I think it was a 5-mile run or maybe an 8-mile run. I can't remember exactly what it was, and and that was like continuous, and and like after that first brick, I was like already coming unglued, and I, and I suffered through that entire workout. Well, by the time I got to Ironman, <laughs> it didn't seem like anything in compared to that day. And I've had a lot of those days. I've had a lot of, you know, um, like Christine right now, you know, I, I think, you know, she needs to get put into situations where, um, you know, the day is harder than Ironman. And, you know, I said, you know, I think maybe you could benefit from, from doing a training camp. So she's going away, I think it's like February or March. She's going to go basically play pro for a week. Um, you know, so she'll come back and she'll have, you know, ridden a few hundred miles and, you know, basically, um, you know, live the life of a pro for a week. You know, she'll come back from that. I came back from one of those and, again, it was just another one of those days when you when you get in the Ironman and even if it gets, you know, if it's a hard day or whatever, it just doesn't seem as big as that day, you know, or one of those days. So that's my two cents. Yeah, I think um, so. the The mental piece is probably, uh, for me, the most important part. I mean, the physical training is a given, right? So you're going to do the physical training, um, but like what Vince is saying, it's not just like doing the rides or the runs or the swims. It's it's your reaction to those things. So there's so many things you can't control um, in training and on race day. Uh, but the thing that you can control is your response to them and how you think about them and how you do or don't fixate on them. So, you know, when I think about mental training, I think it's always and every day. Like it's 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 a never stopping thing. And this is this is one thing um, that that like Vince was saying with with, with the people he coaches. Similarly with me, um, I, I feel like sometimes as a coach, my bigger job is the mental training yeah. um, than 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 the actual the physical putting the the dots together in terms of here's the rides, here's the runs. It's it's more working with people to teach them how to deal with pain, 
to teach them how to deal with being uncomfortable, to teach them how to deal with uh, bad performances, right? Like you go out and, and you come unglued, like Vince said. Like instead of being like, I suck at this, this is, this is not going to work, I'm not going to be good at this, it's not just learning how to manage the sensations of coming unglued, it's also learning how to adapt to those sensations, to, to understand that if you feel bad now, figure out why, right? And and then wait 15 minutes. Don't give in. I think yeah. uh, the, the biggest mistake that people make is they give in. Um, and we're going to talk about this next podcast with my husband when he comes on to talk about his double Ironman experience because if he had given in, the race would have gone really differently. Um, and he didn't. You know, we just kept thinking one lap at a time, one step at a time. So I think that that's a really important piece of it too. Um <clears throat> So you can take the mental training for granted, and I think sometimes people do. Like they expect that they 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 don't need to put any work into how you think about training or how you think about racing, and then they're going to show up on race day and it's just all going to magically work. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. Um, so I think for me, uh, the the mental training is probably the biggest part. And this is why Vince, I waited for you to go first because I think you taught me this, right? I I came to you not particularly mentally tough. Uh, I think I came with the right tools to be mentally tough. I just didn't know how to use them and put them together. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that's why I, I, I was just kind of pausing because I think that, that you taught me a lot here, so I didn't want to kind of repeat some of these things. But, um, <laughs> well, I, I've, I, I've learned from failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have too, and I think that's, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's actually the key point there, right, is that you're learning from failure, uh, and, and, and instead of saying I failed, I suck, it's okay, why did I fail, why did I, and not even just thinking about it as failure, it's like why didn't I get the thing I thought I should have gotten, you know, physically I should have been able to do that, why didn't that happen, um, you know, that's one part of it, but I think another part of the, the, the mental training is kind of like what Vince was saying with sending Christine, his wife, off to training camp is she needs to learn how to manage some of the sensations, or I'm, I'm guessing that's the conversation you're having with her, because that's part of it too. This shit hurts, man. It just hurts. I can't tell you how many times when I do race plans with my athletes, I tell them, it's going to hurt if you do this right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like uh, quieting the noise, yeah. you know, because you get, you get, um, you're in the middle of a race, something goes wrong, you don't know what's going wrong, and you just start digging a hole deeper and deeper, and you need to kind of quiet that noise and then problem solve. Like when you and I were, we were texting back and forth, like while John was racing, trying to figure out <laughs> yeah. what we can do for him. Yeah. Um, you know, and that experience, you know, from those hard days that helps because you're like I've been here before or maybe I haven't been this bad but I've been close to this bad and I know you know I know that I need to problem solve this um, but I think that's something that's developed over time and I just think you know like Christine I just I keep wanting to put her into harder situations you know we did that uh, trail marathon last year and 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 it went longer than we thought it was and you know she was like oh this sucked and I didn't you know I don't want to do this and I'm like no this is awesome this went longer yep. than you've ever run and, yep. and got out of it. And and I just think that's important. And, and that's kind of what I was saying to you, Matt, is like I think you, you know, Matt and I are going to go do some long-ass run, and I'm basically just going to run him until he breaks. And then and then we're going to problem solve him and probably run him for another 10 miles. But that day is going to be harder than an Ironman. Yep. And once you can master that, you know, it's like people, you know, Maria's going to do 100, and, you know, and John will say, you know, 
running running a hundred's like running fifty. The difference is is that pain that you are feeling at fifty miles, it just extends for another fifty miles. But everything else is pretty much the same. But if you can wrap your mind around it, then it's just like I mean, if you can run fifty miles, you can run a hundred miles. And 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 if people think that's like weird or whatever, but it's just true. And if you've done it, you know what I'm talking about. Um it is, and at that point, from like 50 to 100, it's really just everything between your ears at that point. You've got to quiet the noise. You've got to problem solve. Things are going to go sideways. It's a really, really long day and night and day. <laughs> 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 and Maria's going to experience that. Ta-da! <laughs> Yay! Well, I've already experienced it at least in terms of the length, right, with the double yeah. RM. Um, so, but... I fully understand that running for 24 hours is different than swim, bike, run for, for 24 hours or 25 hours. Um, so, so I do get that. But I, I think that that's exactly right, that um, you just kind of have to wrap your mind around what it is and try not to think about the end point. If you think about the end point, yeah, it's going to be a really long day and night and day. <laughs> Uh, uh, but we have we actually have someone tweeting us. We do. Yeah. We got a viewer. Nice. Woo woo. Scott on Twitter asks us how important is doing really stupid things to building mental toughness. Oh, he also question. says you're looking good today, VM. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I I wanted to say that I dressed specifically for Scott today. <laughs> After catching crap from my button down. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think <laughs> so. I, I know I know what Scott's been uh, up to lately, and uh, the I guess the difference, um, you know, and, and something I said to him was, it's cool to do it's cool to do stupid things. Um, but you just got to make sure that you're not just miserable the entire time. Yeah. You know, especially when you're when you're trying to develop that strength. And I actually know Scott pretty well, and and I think Scott is a really tough dude. And, and I don't, I don't think that he has a problem with that. Um, I think you know he's, but he does kind of fall into that category of like he just he's excited by by racing, and so he's like I want to do everything, and it's like all right, you need to pare that down to the things that are really important, yeah. and then what you need to do is you need to complement that, you know, with things that will help you for those events, you know. So you know everybody that's ever worked with me knows that I won't let them do anything shorter than a half Ironman leading into an Ironman. I don't think the uh, you know like throwing in a sprint distance. Is is valuable because you know for me if I if I go do a sprint on Saturday, my whole Saturday is wasted for an hour's worth of work. My whole Sunday is wasted because I'm completely wrecked from the sprint. Whereas normally I would have done you know five hour ride, probably you know a transition run, maybe a swim in there, you know four thousand yard swim, and and then maybe a long run. Well, that's a hell of a lot more time than than that one hour sprint. So I I just think you need to pick and choose. As I'm like staring at his Twitter icon, uh, I think you need to pick and choose um, what races are really important to you, and then complement them. Do you have sort of? I know you usually say like eight weeks out, you do like a big day. Do you kind of have a a template you would recommend for like an Ironman, maybe? Uh, you know, stock stuff. I've done things over the years. Like I used to do. I used to like doing a half Ironman. Um, kind of. You know how I have those at five and three weeks out from the race. I like those two big weekends. Mm -hmm. um, 
I used to take that middle weekend, forget the big weekends, I'd take that middle weekend, the four-week-out weekend, and do a half Ironman. But even that I found to be less beneficial than, than having those two big weekends. I like that better. Um, mm -hmm. So if there's anything that, that is almost consistent for everyone, it's five and three weeks out. There's going to be a long ride, a long run. The following week's going to be a break. And then, and then the third week out, there's going to be a long ride, a long run, and then, and then tapering down. Your breaks aren't very easy. I just want to throw that out there. What's that? Your breaks aren't very easy. I just want to throw oh, that out there. Oh, do you need a hug? <laughs> oh, pumpkin! <laughs> when you say break, it means like only like 18 hours this week. It's just, yeah. It's just not. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm already like devising next year because I think I think everybody needs to up their game. Just looking at how, how athletes have done this year. Just like not not my athletes, but like all athletes, everybody's game got upped, and and I'm looking at what I think is a staple, and and I'm revising that. I think there needs to be more work. Next year is going to be a lot harder for people that I coach. I'm just letting you know. Good right. luck with that, uh, Junk Miles Nation. Yeah. <laughs> Start looking elsewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, you go find a soft coach there. <laughs> yeah. So besides running, besides like really crazy days. Um, do you have any other techniques? Maybe maybe during the race. What do you guys do? Do you do mental tricks? Do you do counting? I count my breaths. That's what I do. Wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, like when I'm in control of a race and things are hurting, I don't I don't need to like chant things in my head. Um, but like at at Tahoe, it just got out of control for me, and I and I. And it and it got out of my hands like I wasn't. It took me a long time before I could get things back together. It just seemed like there were so many things that were going wrong that I I couldn't diagnose it. You know, usually, and I try to do it. Like you know, last weekend I went out and I did a I did a 38 mile run, and I intentionally threw off my nutrition because I'm playing around with feeding off the course. I want to carry less with me. And and so what I did was I stopped by the store and I got this. It was like almost 600 calorie wrap, and I ate half of it. And then I think 45 minutes later I ate the other half. And the idea was I wanted to really kind of cause problems with my stomach. And then I wanted to I wanted to work through it. And I, just on that note, I heard a pro once ate like Taco Bell before a big workout just to make himself really sick so he could test his nutrition. Yeah, well, ice cream sandwich run. So uh, oh, Tim Tweedemeyer, Western States, used to do this thing where he would do, uh, what does it say, famous on the internet? <laughs> i got to put this Twitter thing down. So um, I, I think 30 miles out from the finish at Western States, there's a there's a big aid station. And, and what he would do is he would stop by this store that is in that town, and he would get an ice cream sandwich and a 20-ounce Pepsi, and he would down them. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that's crazy. I mean, you got like all this sugar and you've got the carbonated beverage. But his thing is, you know, he thinks it's an eating contest and you need to really calorie up at that point and your stomach is just not going to be happy about it. So he like puts himself in this crazy situation where he's dealing, you know, dealing mm -hmm. with this, you know, this problem of his stomach, which is probably shut down, I would yeah. imagine. Oh, God. Oh. And, and that's kind of what I was doing, but not to that level. And... I managed to get through it, you know, I was like, all right, I can't take in a lot of liquids, I definitely can't take in any calories right now, I need to deal with it. But that was one problem, and and it had other symptoms, but when I was in TRT, there was just, my, you know, my knee was hurting, and my head was in the wrong place, there's just too much stuff going on, sometimes it just, 
I just think, you know, if I got into a situation that was as hard as that, again, I think I could deal with it a little better. But that was the first time that I had taken it to that level, you know, at least at least in a long time. Yeah, so I have a couple things to say, too, to to add on to, to what Vince is saying there about it. And, Matt, you had asked specifically about, like, during a race, like mm -hmm. what you do. So I've got quite a few little tricks that I do. And like Vince said, it does depend what's happening in the race. If I feel great and all's going well, I need to do nothing except zone out and move. You know, that that's it. It's really not that hard. But, you know, let's face it, in an, in an Ironman distance race, it's very unlikely that that entire marathon is going to feel fan-freaking-tastic. If it does, <laughs> kudos on you, man. That's an awesome day. Uh, but it's, 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 it's unlikely to kind of work that way. So a few things that I do, I do use the counting, um, but I tr the counting probably only comes into play when I'm really off the rails and I have, and, and I, there's nothing, I, I can't get my brain to, to, to redirect in a positive way. Because um, my first response is, like, if I'm feeling bad, it's to sort of assess the, si the systems right? Like, why do I feel bad? What's the problem? Is it my stomach? Uh, do I, am I just like a little baby pumpkin and I need to harden up? And, and, you know, like what's going, like, is it just hot and I need to get a little tougher or like what's going on? Um, With the so, pigtails, that's very effective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I think that that's my first step. And this is something that I definitely learned from, from Vince. And it's a key mantra of mine that I use in training and racing is less emotion, more objectivity. I mean, I repeat this to myself constantly um, I you know we joke about me being emotional but I you know once I, I've got I've learned that once the gun goes off I am a pretty rational racer I, I, I rarely fall into the old kinds of emotional states that I used to and this is because you have to actively do it you're in control of your head you know so you have to you have to do that so the first thing assess all systems if it's going off the rails, what's going on? Is this a big problem? Is this a little problem? Is this just me needing to be hardening up? If it's food, eat. If it's water, drink. You know, if it's if it's you're feeling a little sore, tune into something else, right? If if you're having like 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 an all systems failure kind of thing, then yeah, sometimes you know I have found counting to a hundred is pretty effective because by the time you get to a hundred you've tuned something out, unless there's a bigger problem, right? Um, mantras are also really important to me, so I talked about the less emotion, more objectivity, but I think um, the one race where I really learned to master and adapt was the very first time I did Louisville. Um, it was the hottest race I'd ever done. It was so humid. It was like 95 degrees, 72% humidity, not like this past October for sure. Yeah. It was a completely different race in August, and um, I remember being out there and you know, it was so hot, and the sun, like the sun felt like it was like right, you know, right on my forehead. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, I need to stop thinking about being hot. So I shifted, and I was like, I love the sun. I get energy from the sun. I'm producing so much vitamin D right now. Like no <laughs> shit, no shit. This is what I was thinking, and within like three minutes, I stopped thinking about being hot. I was still hot, but I was no longer negatively responding to the heat. And that's the difference, right? It's your response to this kind of stuff. And then, like, you know that point, like, in the in, as you get closer to the end of a run, you start making deals with yourself. I was just, just a little bit off the guess. And I was like, no deals, Missy. You're not getting a slot like that. You know, like, so I'd be like, sometimes I'd be, like, chastising myself. And sometimes you're, like, kind of 
rooting yourself on and and the people that I coach know this one pretty good like when they say things to me I'm like just suck it up buttercup you know like it's it's a uh, I've learned all my sympathy from Vince for sure you know and and another thing that 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 I'll say too um, and this is something that John and I picked up when we did a seminar with uh, Bobby McGee he would always be like and this sort of relates to the whole less emotion more objectivity thing is like ask yourself am I dying no move on you know and and it's sort of like if you if you really are objective about how you're feeling you'll realize I actually am okay I just am uncomfortable and and that whole idea of teaching yourself to get comfortable with the uncomfortable has to start in training like we've been saying and then you have to actively and consciously decide to apply it in racing you can't give in um, other things that I like to do in racing, I love rabbits. Uh, I'm almost always racing from behind on the run, unless it's a double Ironman, <laughs> 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 which is apparently my skill set. Um, but in an Ironman, I am never even close to coming off the bike towards the front. So, you know, I'm always sort of got people in front of me. And even if even if I am closer to the front, I'm always picking rabbits. Boys, girls, it doesn't matter to me if that's keeping me focused, right? So sometimes that external or that extrinsic motivation can help you, right? Because at some point you're so tired that internal motivation is irrelevant. Um, so that, that external, like I want to catch that person is really good. I also find um, I love spectators and I think they're helpful, but if I'm in the zone, I can I, I I sometimes find them distracting, so I find that I need to tune them out because they can actually throw me off my game, um, which is why I tend to like races where there are some quiet moments, um, like you know in Lake Placid, everyone's like River Road, it's Dead Man's Land out there. I love it because I can just like tune in and go, um, and so you need to decide what works for you. If the spectators work for you then obviously, you know, pull energy from them. And I'm not saying I hate spectators, so people listening to this, please don't, like, throw things at me. It's not – I think it's wonderful that people come and cheer you on. But when I'm in the final – it's more the final moments of the, you know, the final 10K mm -hmm. of a marathon, for example. I really need to be in my head. I really need to be in the race and what's going on. So those are some things I would say, like, during racing that, that help me. Um, I don't like spectators either, if that helps. That's okay. funny because I'm the opposite. I totally feed off of them. Oh, yeah. it's so annoying. I just love that. I hate it when it's like, you look great. I'm like, no. Yeah, well, you, I, mean, you, I don't. I really don't. Yeah, you know? you're doing. You're doing awesome. Yeah, it's like um, I'm dead fucking last. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> but I totally feed off of them. Um, and it's weird. There's definitely like this evolutionary process. Like I remember, uh, you know, racing hard races, and I would have to draw on things like, oh, it, this isn't as hard as that time or whatever. And now I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm quiet inside. Um, I, I, but I definitely feed off of the crowd, but, you know, as I tell you, I'm always, like, looking at the watch, and I drive to a number, and, and I'm always driving to a number, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and to me, that's, that keeps it honest. Mm -hmm. You know, I know, um, if I'm not hitting, you know, X BPMs or whatever, then, then I'm not, I'm not pushing hard enough, and, right. and, and it doesn't matter who's around me. I do like chasing people down, though. I like it doesn't mm, matter. So and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it so is. Fun. I don't care. You know, big old. You know, whatever. I don't. I don't care. I'll, I'll chase them all down. Um, and you know, it was like when, w Wisconsin when I got off the bike. Uh, you know that that uh, 
I can't think he was like third overall or whatever. He was coming out on the second loop, and I'm like, there's somebody to chase after. And then I wound up pacing him, you know. I don't, and I was like dragging him. I'm like, come on, bitch, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I love chasing people. I, I, I like the it. game, man. <laughs> I think that's the other thing too. Like you have to figure out, like mentally playing the game works. I try, like in a long race like Ironman, you got to be careful how soon you start playing the game. Yeah, you have to be mindful of that, but. The game, the strategy, the tactics, I mean, it's so fun. Like, it's just, I mean, I, you know, like in shorter races or things, like there's some races we do around here, um, I, I love sitting on people's shoulders and just, mm. like, right behind them on the run and just have them wondering, like, what the hell is she doing back there? Or the opposite of that, like, okay, I'm going to pass this person, but i got to collect myself and make sure when I pass them, they're like, oh, hell no, man, I'm never catching her, you know, uh, yeah, so you got you got to pass and get out of sight. You got to pass and get out of sight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of the races we do here, like if it's we have some races here in Atlantic City that are crazy windy on the boardwalk, like in the early spring. So I will certainly like. There's this one ten miler, and it's out and back, and it's almost always one direction is full blown hardcore headwind, and it's almost always the way out, just because of the way that time of year and the way the wind blows. So I will sit on somebody right behind them. <laughs> like track style <laughs> you know and they're like what the you know look at me I'm like what's she doing back there and as soon as we get to the turnaround thanks for the lift see you later <laughs> uh, you know being short has it has its advantages with that kind of stuff because you could you could tuck in behind people pretty easily <laughs> so have you guys so one thing I do have you guys heard of the tough um, principle TUF no. no, that's the one I use. Is is when when I'm when I'm fading and when I know it's starting to hurt, um, I do technique under fatigue, and I tell ah. myself to be tough. And and I, like a couple weeks ago, I was job running. My girlfriend usually bikes along on my long runs. She tags along. And, nice. And 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 like at, towards the end, she'll start whispering things. She'll hand me water bottles, which is great. But then she'll also stop start whispering things like. Like, like, stay tough under fatigue and just be tough. So that that's um one I always do, and I like I, I usually drive to my then I drive to my my run cadence. So then I'm like, if my feet aren't moving over ninety, you know, um, then I'm just not, you know. Finn says to keep the feet to the fire, so that's why I start thinking about yep. then. Yeah. And, and staying tall, keeping the arms close and easy, um, and that yep. helps me just like take my mind off, you know. Then you can really be objective with something like that. You're like, am I slouching? Is my you know chestnut? Up? Am I? Am I yeah, and like stay and stay relaxed. And you know this yeah. is this is that's a really good point, Matt. And this is actually something when we were watching the stream of the um, of Kona, um, we were looking at the differences. I mean, granted, these guys are running like crazy, right? Like crazy speed. Yeah, but six we ten were, minute miles. <laughs> yeah, but, but we were looking at the differences. Like for example, like like it worked out for Ferdino, right? Like he he finished. But we were looking at the differences between his form and Railer. Like Railer looked like he was jogging, but mm -hmm. obviously wasn't speed wise. Whereas yeah. Ferdino was obviously moving, but you could tell he was all like his shoulders were up here. Yeah. O'Donnell, same thing. The shoulders were all he was all like this, right? Railer, it's like. You know, like all nice and calm and just really grooving. And, and I mean, granted, it, it worked out the way it worked out, so it's not always about form. But I think for age group athletes, the, the more relaxed you can get yourself, the more efficient run you're, you're going to wind up having. Mm. Um, and, and it also has a mental effect, too, because if you're focusing on your form and your form feels good, 
you mentally feel good. I'm feeling, you know, I'm moving. I'm, if you're like this, you're immediately just slouch. You know, every time we volunteer for for Ironman, like we we will typically volunteer at uh, Lake Placid each year when I'm not racing it, and uh, just watching the differences on the run course, like as you, you know, like I've worked the aid station there, and you know, you can just see the difference in in who's who's going to do well and who isn't just by how they come into the aid station, all slouched over like this, versus trying yeah. to keep a proud chest, trying to keep a quick foot. Once you give in, you've given mm -hmm. in. It's done. You know, you you can have a bad patch. You can have a bad patch and not give in. But if you have a bad patch and give in, it's it that's that race is going to end different. It's just going to be a different. It's just going to be a different day. I tense up, and I don't. I don't have your form. I don't have Jen's form. Actually, Matt has great form too. And I, I, I would see these pictures after a race, and and my shoulders are all bunched up, and I'm like, come on, relax, <laughs> Jesus. And I try to go through that, you know, where I tell myself, stand tall, you know, yeah. move your chest out, relax, let your arms, you know, like I'll drop my arms to get my shoulders down. I don't. I I have a a bunch of crappy photos of me running. I'm <laughs> doing. Oh, sorry, Mac. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, aren't you doing yoga now? One, that'll, that'll that'll definitely help. I'm thinking about doing yoga. I know, I know. I'm just letting you know. I'm not gonna eat tofu. I don't like <laughs> tofu. I think it's disgusting. It's who, not happening. Who are you, Vince? I, I feel who, like I don't who, know you. Who? Who? <laughs> who are you? I know. I know. Vegetarian yoga. I'm, I'm not vegetarian. I'm just. What did John I'm and I do to you? I feel I feel responsible that we we've stripped you of something. I, I want to eat meat. I want to eat meat. <laughs> I just want to know where it comes from. I'm just playing with you. I'm I know. That's fine. That's fine. You know what I think with the. I'm not proud. <laughs> yeah, I think the tenseness is actually even trickier in triathlon because you're coming off the bike where you're in that position, right? Like yeah. you're all you're all bunched up because I mean I have photos that look like that too. It's not it's not I mean I'm not saying by any means that I'm I'm perfect at it, but um when you come off the bike it's like you do have to kind of like reset. Like whoo, let's stand up, let's get it all down, let's feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But it's uh I think that's a good physical and mental trick, Matt. Good good one to to bring in. I also think some techniques going into racing, some things to think about that I do, and you can call me touchy-feely hippie all you want, whatever, I will accept <laughs> that. But I, I I, do a lot of stuff. So I think that visualization is really important. Um, and this is something that I learned in high school when I rode crew. Our coach was so into like doing these intricate visualization sequences that I just learned it and what he would do in these and what I do now with the visualization sequences is I have one visualization sequence where everything works out perfectly right because you got and I usually end with that one so you feel positive right but then you have to have the visualization sequences where shit falls off the rails <laughs> like you have to do that because and and then when you're doing the visualization sequence you have to work through how do you respond to that I get a flat tire what do I do I feel sick to my stomach. What do I do? Uh, I get past. How do I respond? You know, you, you move through all the different things so that if and when these weird things happen on race day, you're at least mentally prepared for them um, and, and you know what to do because you've already worked through the sequence in your head. So I think that that's pretty pretty important part of, of, of what I do. I also think journaling is not to be underrated. So the reflection piece, right? Um, a lot of this journaling I do publicly on my blog, but there's also some things I just I don't think the world needs to know about what happens in my head. Uh, <laughs> really, you filter? <laughs> 
I do filter. I do. I know it seems like I don't, but I, I do. Uh, there's there's even more going on inside. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know. Considering I know. the things that you've shared publicly, <laughs> wow. I know. So I think journaling is really important just for the reflection piece. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so I think, that, I think that's really important for... for uh, that whole idea. So, so the failure thing, right? Like, so you go out and the race doesn't work out the way you wanted. How do you learn? <laughs> Stop! You're just distracting me. How do you? How? Do, what do you learn from that? So, like for me with labor pains, the most important thing was like, what do I? What do I have to learn from that? I shit myself. How do I prevent that? <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> you know, like how do I not do that again? And also, just like how do I? Um, <laughs> things, things Vince and I will never understand. Oh. Uh. You know, so so I think the journaling is important for reflection. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's something that people should do, and it's part of what I encourage. Like, so if you have a coach, uh, it, whether you're Vince's athlete, you're my athlete, you're somebody else's athlete, you know that whole comment section in Training Peaks. Yeah, use you, it. You should use it. It's really important. Not just for the mental piece, but also sort of the data analysis piece, which we talked about before. Um, I think that that those those reflections are really important, and and trying, you know, and even if you need to vent out the emotional bit, right? Vent out your emotions, right? It's this, you know, whatever. But also, then you can go back and think about how to adapt to what happened. Oh, certainly, you know, uh, at least for me, not bottling things up and putting it out there in public, you know, that, that kind of sets me free a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, you know, and, you know, just starting off by, like, writing it out there, this sucked, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, especially as athletes get faster and faster, it's like, you look at pros and they have coaches. Well, why do they need coaches? You know, they could obviously plan their workouts. Well, there is, you know, this person that's on the other side that's objective, you know, more so than you can be. And uh, and I think that's, that's important, you know. Um, people, you know, Jen called me up right before the race, and uh, she raced Louisville, and, uh, and she was, you know, and beasted need, Louisville, beasted yeah, it. Yeah, that's said, that's what? that's my first age group win as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome. But um, she uh, she called up and in and, and she had a problem and she needed to talk through it and you know and that's I think important is like having somebody there you know that you can you know dump those things to and you know and get a second set of you know eyes or whatever. Um, more so than than say like the the training aspect of it. You know, Maria, I'm sure could plot out you know her own training for you know for whatever. But um, you know, just having that other person there, you know, kind of helps out. I don't know. I I don't. It's weird because I'm I'm super emotional. I take everything personal except for my athletics. I have like become so detached about it. I just don't care. You know, like if I race Ironman, I just I don't care anymore. I don't, I mean, and I want to do well, you know, um, but I just, I've completely detached from it, and it's just, at the end of it, I'm, I'm, I care about it, but during it, I'm just like, it's all about, like, the process, the numbers, whatever, mm -hmm. and I think, I, I think, you know, you get there, um, and, and you've really, like, done well. <laughs> I was going to say mastered it, but I don't, I think that's probably taken a little too far. All right, we're coming up here on hour here, guys, so... Wow, we talked a whole hour about 
uh, farming and, and farming. mental toughness. Oh, one last thing on farming. Um, have you guys heard of the app Eat This Much? No. no. That's what I use now. To what is it? Eat it, This Much? Eat This Much. Um, i got to put a plug for it because that's what I'm doing now. You know, Vince knows this, but um, um, about me, but I am a man of a plan, and I stick to plans. Um, and most of my life is, is a, I'm a list maker. I'm one of those people, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> lists are for, awesome. I have lists for everything. Um, and this is a list for my food. Um, and it is a very, very, very good app for uh, meal planning and grocery shopping. So it, it generates, you know, you can set your calorie intake, your macros, and it'll make meals for you and then give you grocery lists that you can go and do. And you can set the complexity of every meal. You can tell which meals you don't need because you're eating out. Um, it's one, it, I don't have many apps on my phone. This is one, this is better, you know, this is the training pizza of my food. Um, I use it. Um, pretty religiously, and it helps me because I'm not that creative with my cooking. Um, it helps me like cook new things, and then I just go walk into the grocery store. I don't have to think. It has a list of things I need to buy. I remember what I bought last time, and it, you know, so it's it's really solid. Um, if you have meal planning problems, which I do, so I use that. <laughs> Oh, one more, one more. Seafood Watch. Monterey Bay Aquarium has this uh, app and and site, and they they have like a pamphlet or whatever, and it oh, tells I've you yeah. what's that. I've seen this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good for it's good for figuring out what fish um, you can eat when you can eat it. it. Tells you, you know, like for example, you know, don't get well, obviously don't get fish from China because <laughs> of, you know all the problems with it. But then you know it'll tell you, oh, you know, get it from here, and it's and it's part for health and part for sustainability, mm -hmm. um, and and I've been using that a lot lately because I'm only eating fish and I'm not eating chicken or beef. Uh, <laughs> poor little fishies. I know. I know. I know. It's crazy. It's so unlike me. All right. So do also, we have something to wrap this up with? Someone, did someone think of something? Yeah, all right. I'll, I'll take a stab, you know, do my, yeah, do my, do my lecture summary thing. Come on, professor. Know? Yeah, I know, right? So I, you know, I, I think I would wrap this episode up. I mean, obviously we talked about the, the food piece of it, but I would say um, the mental piece of this is obviously the meat of this this article and or the meat of this podcast. And, and I think the, the main takeaways here is that mental training is to be done daily as is physical training every training session brings with it an opportunity to improve your mental fitness to strengthen your mental fitness um, there's various techniques you can use uh, both in training and in racing but also in your downtime during your recovery time really important part of it um, I'll also give a shout out to my blog I'll be self-promotional but I have a lot of mental training pieces on my uh, on my blog so if you go to runningalife.com uh, you can go to the training section and there's a mental training whole section about it because I've written a lot about it but there's also like my race reports you can get an insight into into the thinking uh, and, and the things that that I've learned um, I, I think that uh, if you're looking for more resources you can you can look for that there but uh, yeah, and she's also all. got a uh, an article on how to get fecal matter out of your running shorts. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bonus. That's a bonus, bonus One more thing on mental. Um, you know, I think one of the things that that 
you've heard me say is that you need to um, take a mental break from things. You can't just keep uh, grinding down um, because, you know, over time, over years, that weighs heavier than the physical. Like I can get up so and I can true. go, I can go run something anytime I want. But mentally, I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And and I think it's important at the end of the season to kind of break off, at least from uh, you know some, if not all, the training for some period of time, so that when you come back, you can dig really deep when it counts. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that there. We might hit that later on, but yeah. I feel yeah, like that was targeted right at me. No, it, it's actually it was actually more um, something that I learned because um, you know it's funny when you're training for Ironman you, when you start doing well you get excited about it and you want to continue training you want to continue training year after year just stringing it together nonstop and I got to a point where I was like I can't do this anymore and I don't care if I'm going to lose fitness I was afraid I was going to lose fitness. And and so I was like, that's it, I'm done. And I finished Hawaii that year, and my bike stayed in the box, and I didn't pull it out until like January. And and I was like, I'm gonna be slow, you know, I'm gonna be slow. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna suck or whatever. And and sure enough, my fitness came back quickly. And then after that, I was like, I need that break every year, mm -hmm. and I take that break every year, you know. So it's good to, you know, even with the diet, like, you know, I'm very strict right now. After Havelina, I'm going to fall off the wagon. I'm going to enjoy Thanksgiving. I'm going to enjoy Christmas. I'm probably going to be 10 pounds heavy, but it's okay. And you just you need that break from that strictness. So, uh, sorry, recap. You want to recap again? I stole it and ran with it again. <laughs> no, that was good. Just just do all the things we talked about, and you'll. Be yeah, good. yeah. Do it all. Do it all. <laughs> go to Maria's blog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come over and why doesn't Matt have a Twitter account yet? I do, I do. It just is very inactive. No, 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 no. That's your work account. We don't want to. We don't want to like Did spoil your work account. I thought we made a yanking change. We do, we do. Okay, yeah. maybe we oh, do. But... On Twitter, yanking change, yanking chains. Yeah, that's what we're yanking called. Yanking change. <laughs> that's that's the homeless podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm Mass Life on Twitter, and Vince is Felog. Yo. Log. I don't know how. I always pronounce it as a word. I know. It it, it doesn't matter. I don't. You know, people Falog? like that. It's a log. Yeah. It's a it's a Portuguese donut. That's <laughs> that's. And so if you like do a search for it, you come up with my blog and then a Portuguese donut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, kids. All right, let's wrap it up. I gotta go get on my bike. Okay. Th thanks for listening. Thank you guys. Good talking to you guys. See you next time. Next time. Oh, oh, oh yeah, well, we'll talk offline. All right. Bye. Yeah. Bye. I have this podcast. And.